You're listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real-life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Hey there, this is the Real Talk SLP podcast, and today we are going to be talking about how to start building your diverse library uh, collection to use in therapy. So I thought it'd be great to have Shantae Glover on the podcast today. I started following Shantae a while ago. She's uh, on Instagram, and she's with having your say at having your say. And I was totally drawn to her pot or not her podcast to her Instagram account, because I'm going to be real here, Shantae, before I introduce her, but like, I loved her lipstick color and she has very good style. And I was also like, cool. She's an SLP and she always shares the best new diverse books that you can use with your students. She summarizes it for you and why this might be a good fit for your students or your caseload. So I love following her for those new recommendations recommendations. And so I'm going to invite her. I invited her on the podcast and here she is. Thanks for coming on, Shantae. Hi, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm I'm laughing about the lipstick comment. I love a good lipstick. <laughs> I love a pop of color. <laughs> so I'm yeah. curious how we found each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, you do. You have good. I'm always like, oh, she's got good style. I need to know where she got that lipstick color. Um, so before we get started on just talking about diverse books and how to build your library on that, I would love to just have you share a little bit about where you're from, what what your caseload looks like, what settings you're in, all that good stuff. Sure. So I am Shantae and I am from northern New Jersey. I'm very close to the New York City area. Um, currently, I am working in the public school setting as well as in private practice and I work with PEDS. So I see children. Um, for the most part, I work with children ages three to about 10. And that's what my caseload looks like right now. Um, I've been working in this setting for probably, I don't want to date myself, but um, at least 15 years. And before being in the schools, I was working in medical setting. I was working at an acute care hospital, which was really fun. I really enjoyed doing that and seeing so many different types of cases. But once I became a mom, the school setting became more ideal for my family. And then I decided to go into private practice because it allowed me more flexibility and the ability to see the type types of clients that I wanted to work with. Um, I should probably mention too that my private practice is a little bit different. I actually go into my clients' homes. So I bring the therapy to you and that gives me the opportunity to work one-on-one with the client as well as with the family. So I can give them a lot of those strategies and tips that they can carry on when I'm not there anymore. Cool. And what ages do you do with the private, like typically for private practice, is it a certain age group or is it... Um, It's about the same. For the most part, I've worked with children um, anywhere from, I think my youngest client that I started with, I had a set of twins at 18 months. And um, for the most part, school age up until middle school. Awesome. Yeah, I've I've mostly been a school-based SLP. I did do a little bit of private practice here and there, but um, 
I've always thought like, oh, private practice would be so fun if I could just wrap my head around all the other little pieces and um, of finding clients and doing all the paperwork and stuff. It's just like, I don't know, it's scary to go into something new, but it always seems to be a great adventure whenever I do that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, all right. And this is like a new thing that I've been kind of doing is asking people that come on, like, what is your song that sums up 2020 or represents your life motto? Like why, you know, what would that song be and why did you pick it? <laughs> so <laughs> I I chose the song Ironic, Alanis Morissette song from, I think, the probably the mid 90s for what I think represents 2020, because um, in that song, if you're not familiar with it, she talks about a, a series of, it's not really irony, but it's a, a series of unfortunate coincidences. And I feel like that's what 2020 has been for us. It's been the year that we all were looking forward to, especially if you're into numbers, thinking that we would have amazing opportunities. I remember everyone making all of these grand resolutions for the year. And it just seems like as soon as the year came, we got hit so hard with one thing after another. And we've experienced a lot of losses and we've witnessed some tragedies. But I also think that the year has put us all on pause and we were forced to examine things that maybe we weren't willing to look at previously. And it also made us take a break and, and look at our priorities within our own lives. So it's ironic. It's a series of yeah. things that we had no idea were going to happen. <laughs> I know a lot of more. So I think we probably grew up in the same, uh, same like time because that was I listened to Alana's Morissette a lot and yeah and I you know I'm going to date myself here and just say I was, I'm class of 2000 and this was the year we were supposed to have our high school reunion class you know 20 year reunion because and so and we were the class we were we were being um we were on the news a lot in 20 you know 2000 because we were the the new you know 2000 and so we were kind of that magical class I guess you know starting a whole new um you know time we weren't in the nineteen, you know the 1900s anymore and we're in the 2000s and so it's just interesting how this year definitely has been filled with so many turns even just like on a personal level and then on a national and worldly level it's been interesting yeah and, I agree with all the things you're talking about. Yeah, interesting to say the least. And I think that <laughs> it, we're only in uh, almost in September, and uh, it just feels like it's been ongoing. <laughs> like 2020 just won't end. <laughs> no, it won't. Uh, but so I think we can. Uh, we'll transition now. We'll try. We're going to talk about some positive things about how, um, you know, we can start using more diverse. This is a great time. The start of the school years here. Um, I know for myself, I, I pick, I already kind of think about the books that I like to use in my therapy because I like bringing books into my therapy. And so, you know, we're starting to plan out the year and this is a great time for us to look at those books that we're choosing and, and building our libraries to be the books that we love. You know, I, there's certain books that I always love to use every year, but then to start looking at ways we can start incorporating different books that have diverse characters and diverse story plots. And um, I think 
you know, knowing more about what that is, I would love to hear from Shantae today. And so just first off, I would love to know like how you got started with picking different books and diverse and what, like, what does, what is a diverse book and what makes a diverse book? So um, I think I got started mostly when I was looking at the books that I had at home and I would bring them into work. And I was noticing that when I would bring books in from my home, a lot of the books that my children had were books with characters that looked like my daughters. And the books that I had in school, I had a lot of books that featured animals, a lot of the popular themes, but they didn't have characters that were of diverse races, diverse cultures, and ethnicities. And um, I had always been pretty intentional about including books that showed little Black girls at home so that my daughters would see themselves in the books as well as the other characters, like ones that they love, like Fancy Nancy and um, I can't remember all of those series that they loved, but the popular books that they liked, but I also wanted them to also feel comfortable in their own skin and comfortable with their, their hair, things that they weren't seeing frequently in the books that were being shown in school. So when I was thinking about using books in, in therapy, what really triggered all of this work too, was that I was finding that a lot of my students on my caseload, especially in the school setting, not as much as with the private practice, but in the school setting, a lot of the preschoolers had never really encountered anyone who looked like me. A lot of my students are um, from uh, Spanish speaking countries, and some of them are first generation Americans, and their interactions are mostly with their family members, or close friends of the family who also look like them and speak like them. So that's what's familiar to them. And seeing someone like me was different. And they would make comments about my skin or want to touch my skin because they had never seen someone with brown skin like me. And sometimes if I wore my hair curly instead of straight, they would make comments about my hair. And I realized like they really have limited exposure. And I wanted to try to think of what could I do to increase their exposure, not just to people who look like me, but to other cultures as well. And when I thought about some of my older students, for some reason, um, I am one of few African-Americans working in my district, and I am the only African-American SLP in my district, I should say. And for some of my students, my older students, they have also never encountered um, an African-American educator or therapist. And sometimes, especially during certain times of the year, like maybe Black History Month, or um, if they were doing a particular theme, topics would come up and they would feel uncomfortable about how to approach it. And they weren't sure what language to use, what's okay, what's not okay to say. And whether it was about um, African-Americans or Asian-Americans, I realized like a lot of my students had questions and uncertainties about how to deal with people who were different from them. So that's when I decided maybe I should do it with books. It's a safe way to try to broach the topic. It's an easy way for them to start to make connections. And I certainly can't bring in a whole bunch of people from other uh, cultures and backgrounds, but this was a good way to start the conversation. The other thing that I noticed too was that my students were also very curious about people who were differently abled. So if they saw a child who was in a wheelchair or or on crutches, they had questions about that, or maybe they wouldn't say anything. They would just stare. So I wanted to start to look at books that featured kids that had different needs as well. 
And that's how I got started. That's what triggered my desire to try to bring in more diverse literature into the school setting and into my private practice, just as I had done at home with my own children. I love it. Yeah. And I think but I think we we see all these things even on the news as adults and we're you know, we're kind of freaking out going, well, what am I supposed to do? But I love that you just said that, like, we can just simply start with bringing in stories and and stories are just a great small way that we can start broaching discussions and conversations in a safe way. And, um, and books really, I mean, books have always been a part of my life too. So I know I've learned so much from just the books that my parents chose for me to read. Um, and I love that. So, um, I, you kind of shared a little bit about how you pick or what is the, like maybe go into a little bit more about like, how do we pick diverse books for therapy? Like what skills do you work on? How do we know if we have a diverse book in front of us? Like, what would that look like? Um, so when you're thinking about your book, if I have a book that only features black characters, that book per se isn't diverse, but if that book is a part of my library, now I have a diverse library. So I think that we should start to look at it and think about it in that context. You want to build a diverse library that features characters that have, um, different cultures, different religions, celebrating different holidays. So those are the things that you should think about. Do you take a look at your current library when it comes to um, heading back to school? Do most of your books feature just animals? Do you have books that feature children that are coming to school for the first time and are coming here to this country for the first time? Um, Do you have books that speak about being new in school and new in the United States? Do you have books that feature um, African-American children as the main character that's going back to school and books that feature girls going back to school? Um, Most importantly, I think if you can find books that show a little bit of everything, that's when you're really winning. Research says that when we are able to show children books that feature characters from all different Um, ethnicities interacting and playing together, kids will try to emulate that as well because they see it and they see like, this is normal and it's okay for them to also emulate that same behavior and play with other friends that may not necessarily look like them or sound like them when they speak. Um, So I think that's a good place to start. Take a look at what you currently have in your library and see where those gaps may exist and try to create a more diverse, inclusive collection, not just one book at a time. And when it comes to therapy, you know, I, I have to be honest, I pick my books based upon what I like. I look at the covers and if it's really appealing to me, and I think that my students will be interested in the book, then that's a book that I'm going to buy. Sometimes I have ended up with duds, but for the most part, I've been exceedingly pleased with all the books that I've selected so far. Sometimes my book is the basis for my therapy, and sometimes it's just like the warm up. You know, we come in, we've walked through the hallway, or I come to the home and we read a book first for a few minutes, and then we move on to what the actual structure of the session is. So that's something else to keep in mind, too. Your book can just be part of your, your icebreaker, part of your, your warm up to get the session going. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, some of the books that I really like, like for my own children, um, it's 
it's a really long story. And so what I've done some, like all the books that I read in my own home, I really love it, but I know that it could take, it could take 20 minutes to finish reading that book to mm-hmm. my daughter. So what I'll do, what you could do, and I've had to do this in middle school is like, maybe you're only going to read a, uh, a chapter from the story or, or maybe even less than that, or you're going to read half of the book mm-hmm. and do, you know, and then move into your activities that were either relate to the book or move into something else. And then the next time you come, you can even, it could be like, I like what you said, like the warm up. So maybe it's just, you read a few pages about it. You hit, you know, a word of the day with that book. And then you move yeah. on to the actual mix, you know, that if you have a mixed group, you work on their goals, but um you know, and you can call it uh, auditory bombardment when you're doing phonology, yeah. <laughs> or you can, you know, your the kids need to be read to. It's good for their oral language. So for sure, for sure. And Thank unfortunately, you. a lot of kids don't read at home anymore, or parents may be too busy, depending on their work schedules. Maybe they're not home at bedtime, but children don't read stories at night every night anymore. So the more opportunities we can give our students to hear stories, like you said, it's great for their oral language. So if you don't make it a part of the actual session and you just throw it in the beginning, that's always a great way too. Yeah. And I know we kind of talked about before we got on here, like just about normalizing diversity and um, like finding books that just show kids of all different races and cultural backgrounds doing typical things that we, and so you want to talk a little bit about that too? Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, it becomes heavy to always see books that show people who look like you being oppressed or um, in a historical state, if you're constantly reading about civil rights or enslavement or books that always talk about people who look like you having just immigrated to the country. Kids also want to see themselves reflected in doing the things that they actually do, like going outside to play, going to school, um, having a dilemma that's solved by the end of the book. And the dilemma is whether or not their friends will like this dish that their family has prepared. Um, You want to look for books that show kids just doing regular things. But the key is that those kids don't all look alike. Um, that's when you start to normalize diversity, when children can see people who look like themselves and people who don't look like them, but that everyone is engaging in normal everyday activities. And you want to find books that, that make you feel good, that at the end of the story, the kids are smiling, they've enjoyed it, you've enjoyed reading it to them. You don't always want to pick books that are maybe historically accurate, but that are so heavy and and talk about things that are sometimes ugly and and hurtful. You just want to find things that are joyful and celebrate kids being happy and being kids. Yeah. I know that I found some roadblocks with that in terms of like, I have kids that are in kindergarten to second grade with moderate to severe disabilities and they have autism. And so it's been hard for me to draw the line like, okay, well, I want to talk about Martin Luther King or different, you know, cause that, that came up in the unique curriculum for, you know, African-American history month. And, and the teachers and I were struggling, like, well, do we use the word kill? Do we, you know, mm-hmm. how do we, so I don't know if you have any tips for kids that are, we want to, we don't want to shy away from hard books or even like more advanced literature 
I just have started to try to make it simple. If I find a book I really like that has too much language, it would be overwhelming. I just try to simplify the story so that they can at least be exposed to just the book that I love. Like Saturday, I like that you recommended that book and I really like that book and just trying to find ways to make it accessible for them, but Mm -hmm. also not overwhelm them. And so I don't know if you have any tips on like for our mod severe population or our kids with autism, like how do we, how do we expose them to some of these harder um, concepts or even just more, uh, more complex language books without overwhelming them? Um. There, there's a book that I remember using. I can't remember if I, I think I shared it. We were still in person at the time. It's called The Skin You Live In. And I used that book with my uh, kindergarten class. I was invited to come in and share a book with them. And I used that instead of actually talking about Martin Luther King, because I, I understood that I knew the teacher had already tried to talk about that topic with them. And you do have to be careful with the vocabulary that you're going to use. But you also have to be honest because we now live in a time where kids are very connected and they can Google everything and they see a lot and they're very aware. Um, But when you're talking about like more of a mod severe population, the book, The Skin You Live In, it's it's a very cute and simple book. Um, It talks about how your skin is different but being able to exist and relate and that there's no skin that's better skin than the other skin. And I think that that is a good way to talk about a lot of the things that Martin Luther King and other civil rights activists fought so hard for. And even today, when we're talking about issues in this country, without being so direct and talking about you know the, that, that harder vocabulary, but you can still broach the topic using those images. And it's a book that has very clear images, but they're, they're happier images. So you feel good as you share the book and then tie it in with an activity. So when we, we did this book in person and I just read it for the class, but then when everything got flipped upside down and we ended up being home, I remember sharing the book again, the teacher was work, I was working with her remotely and she asked me if I would read the book again and if we could do an activity. And um, this was for her self-contained uh, kindergarten class. And they ranged in uh, ability levels. And what we did was we read that book and this particular teacher, she is Korean and I'm black. And we did an activity with eggs, with uh, white eggs and brown eggs and just showing how on the outside the eggs look the same, but on the inside the hard-boiled eggs were exactly the same. I mean, on the outside, they oh, were yeah. different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we did more hands-on activities, too, to help them make those connections. And, you know, as they get older, they will definitely learn more about specific people in history. But I think that for now, um, un- until you built that foundation for them to understand that, it's important that you start off with just normalizing that there are different types of people who live and exist in our world. And then from there, you can build on teaching them about some of the things that have happened historically in, in this country and throughout the world. But yeah, I want them that. to have like an appreci- a basic appreciation for for different people who don't look like them, who maybe don't function like them as well. Yeah. And then we would, but what I've always come to know at the end of the day is like, we all have commonalities. And so Mm -hmm. remember reinforcing that and remembering that we're all, we all are human. There may be certain things that we maybe eat differently Mm -hmm. or do differently, but at the end of the day, we all share meals. We all, you know, 
we yeah. all do. And then there might be even some things that's like, oh, actually, we are, we have a lot in common, you know. Right. Um, but I'll put the link to the skin you live in. Thanks for that book recommendation sure. um, and those ideas. And so that kind of segues. If you were to recommend the top five books, like you think an SLP should buy today, what would you recommend? I know you just came out with a book too, so um, we we're going to talk about that. Um, but yeah, what what would you recommend? Um, so I definitely would recommend my book, but we'll come back to that one. <laughs> <word. laughs> um, I have a lot of favorites. And um, if you ask me this question again in a month, the five that I tell you then might differ from now. But I would say I'm a big fan of a book called Daniel's Good Day. And it's written by uh, Micah Archer. And as SLPs and even educators, if you're collaborating with your classroom teachers, we often like to use themes. And that book is great for talking about community and neighborhood themes, but you're able to target speech and language goals where maybe you're working on calling attention to the setting, or if you're working on sequencing goals. I think that that book is a great book to use there. And it's just a really nice feel good book. It's just talking about how um, the little boy is going through his day and what constitutes a good day for him. Um, another cool. book that's a favorite of mine is Bilal Cook's Doll. And that one is written by Aisha Saeed. And this is one of those books that are rare to find, but you do see some um, cross-racial group interactions. So Bilal is um, Indian, of Indian descent, and he has friends that are of all different races, and they've come over to his house, and he wants to prepare a traditional Indian meal for them. But he's worried about, one, how long it takes to cook the meal, but also will they even like it when it's done? So while they're waiting for the doll to be prepared, they go out and play. And they do things that all kids love to do. They go swimming, they play in the park, they do lots of fun activities. And that's a really good book too, if you want to also talk about um, setting, if you want to work on inferencing skills, if you are also wanting to do some character analysis and even inferencing, you get an okay. opportunity to work on that too. So um, that's one of my favorites. Um, the Name Jar is a great jar book to use for heading back to school. That book is, I hope I'm saying her name correctly, that book is written by Yansuk Choi. And um, it talks about a little girl who is new to the United States. Her family has just immigrated from Korea. And she's very worried about meeting her new American friends and how they will receive her and receive her Korean name. Will they be able to say it? Will they tease her? And um, it kind of speaks to those feelings of feeling out of place and not knowing if you'll be accepted, but it also gives you a little bit of insight into how everyone's names are very different, everyone's names have meaning, um, and they're special for your family, and they may be tied to your culture as well. So I think that's a great book to use in the beginning of the year to make all of your students on your caseload feel like they're welcome and that you are, um, they're in an open and safe space with you. And you could also use that book too to target different goals if you wanted to work on um, specific vocabulary, story recall, question comprehension. Um, let's see. Oh, another book that I like a lot is called Another. And it is actually a wordless book. That one is written or illustrated by Christian Robinson. Um, wordless books, as most SLPs know who enjoy using books, 
are great to use in therapy because they take away a lot of that pressure for your students that are trying to, that are having difficulty. It takes away that pressure of having to decode the text because they can use their creativity and just focus on using their oral language skills. Um, so that's one of my five that I would include. I think I've given you four. Um, yeah. Oh, and, and my one. Yeah, go ahead. I'm thank sorry. You. I, I know you wrote, thank you. Thank you. Omu. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Omu. I don't know if I said it right. Or that Saturday. I like that one too. I love Saturday. And actually the author of Saturday is also the author of Thank You Omu. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, her name is Oga Mora. I hope I'm saying that right too. And that's another really nice book. Just like Saturday, I guess I'm going to put both of those together. Um, you can talk about sequencing. You can work on sequencing goals. You can always work on vocabulary, predicting, inferencing. Um, Saturday is one of my favorite books because I was able to connect to it. It reminded me of my Saturdays that I would spend with my mom and my grandmother. And it's nice to have books that children can relate to and make connections to. Sometimes I'm surprised when I pull out a book for therapy or now that I have um, front-facing displays, my kids may walk up to a book and be attracted to the image on the cover and ask me if they can read it because something about that picture connected with them and they want to hear about the story. And that's really nice to see because I didn't always have students showing an interest in wanting to read books or listen to books. Um, And going back to Saturday, that's how I found that book. I made that connection with how Saturdays were special for me. And it turns out to be a nice book to share and use in therapy to focus on goals too. And the same with Thank You Omo. It's a, a book that talks about sharing and kindness and also community and neighborhood themes as well. Yeah, I really like, I related to Saturday as well, because I'm a working mom Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, it's all about you spending, you know, your days with on the, on your mom, you know, your family, the moms has the day off on Saturday and just doing the everyday things that they do and the routine of that. And just kind of relating to that as a mom, like that's the weekends are for my kids and yeah. Um, and just how sometimes the weekends don't always go as we plan, but mm-hmm. that doesn't matter. Um, so as you guys can see, Shantae is very good at like getting you excited about new books. She knows how to like summarize it. So you're like, oh, that sounds like a cool book. So I definitely want you to go start following her um, on Instagram at having our say. And because she shares books all the time on there. And, you know, before we wrap things up, I would love for you to talk about your book that you just published. It's so exciting. Um, I'm excited for you that this happened. That you, you, so thank just share a little bit about it. Sure. Thank you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about my new book. It's called Liam's First Cut, and um, it is the bonus feature. It's one of those books that I think that every SLP parent, teachers should have in their library. It is a story about Liam and Liam is a little black boy with autism and he's preparing for his first visit to the barbershop. So in my book, um, you get to meet Liam and you see him and he's starting to think about with excitement going to the barbershop. It's a day that he's been waiting for for quite some time. And you see how Liam and his family prepare for his visit. But you also get to see what the barbershop means to to Liam and to the people in the community. Um, it's a really sweet book. I don't I have two daughters. And now I feel like I have the son that I always wanted in Liam. I feel like I've birthed a new baby here. 
And uh, I'm really excited about sharing it with everyone. It officially releases September 29th, but it is available for pre-order right now. Um, and, and doing all this research and starting to realize that, for one, there is very little representation for um people of color in children's literature. So I, I didn't say that before, but I don't want people to feel guilty if you realize that you hadn't been doing this. There aren't a lot of books in general. I would say probably less than 25% of the books that are published in children's literature actually feature characters that are diverse. So don't feel horrible that you weren't already considering this. What was available to us was limited. And that's what inspired me to also write my own book to add to the numbers and increase some diversity. But I wanted to make sure that I wrote a book that one made you feel good and normalized things that we all do and all relate to, but also gave visibility to a group that's often left out. And that's people who have special needs. Um, it's a social story in itself. So you could use this book to help your child, whether your child is typically developing or not. You could use this book to help your child get ready for their first visit to a barber shop. And even if you don't have a son, I still think it's a great book to share with any child because it gives you an opportunity to see a little boy who does have special needs and how he is a little bit nervous, but also how he's preparing and then ultimately successful in reaching a huge milestone in his life. Yeah, I think um, a lot of my students struggle with wanting to go to get their hair cut because of sensory needs and just, just not knowing what's going to happen. So I love that it covers a social story and it shares about, you know, a child's perspective with autism and it's diverse because he's African-American. So it's great. It hits like so many things. And yeah. um, where can people buy your book? My book is written under my pen name, which is Tay Jones, and you can buy my book right now in pre-order. You can buy my book at tayjones.com. After it releases September 29th, it will be available at all resellers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you shop for books. That's so cool. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah, to me, writing a book is a big deal. I don't, so... I'm like, good, good job. Thank um, you. <laughs> well, no, I think I, yeah, I think it's super cool. And um, so you, make sure you guys go get that book. I'm going to go order my copy now. And um, thanks, Shantae, for coming on the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate all your insight and just, um, you know, everything that you're doing. It's really encouraging as an SLP. So Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I just wanted to add one more thing. If you'd like a signed copy of the book, order it from my website, tayjones.com. I will be signing all copies that come through there. Awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Thank so, you so much for having me, Felice. This was awesome conversation. I know. It was great talking to you. It's like East meets West Coast because I'm on California time. You're on East Coast. So I'm glad we were able to get this going. And uh, until next time, everybody, I hope you have a great week. And hang in there. If you're struggling with all the distance learning going on, you can do it. All right. Uh -huh.